Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Reflections. I'm Zachariah. I've got Derek right over here. Uh, it is not Friday, August 14th morning. It is Friday, August 14th evening. Um, it has been a crazy week for me, personally. I have made the decision, actually, to move back to California because there is a church in the Walnut Creek area of the East Bay that is looking to hire me, so uh, just for a part-time 20 hours a week. But with online classes at the seminary uh, for the entire year, it uh, felt like that's what I... That's what God was calling me to do is work at a church instead of just kind of doing online classes, which I'm also not looking forward to, but that's a whole different subject. In any case, uh, Tuesday, we're going to be reading through chapter nine of Jamar Tisby's Color of Compromise. And uh, today we read through chapter six, which was an incredibly hard to read chapter, but uh, very informational and very, very good to read. Um, But before uh, Derek gets into the summary and we get into our discussion, uh, we're going to read out of Romans 12 because that is one of the passages that uh, um, Jamar Tisby brought up as a passage that was used by white supremacists um, to talk about how holy um, the South was before slavery ended. And of course, that is a very difficult concept, but we thought it'd be helpful to read and look at it for what it is instead of something that is to be used for evil. So Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering persevere in prayer contribute to the needs of the saints extend hospitality to strangers bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse them rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep live in harmony with one another do not be haughty but associate with the lowly do not claim to be wiser than you are do not repay anyone evil for evil but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. And uh, now over to Derek for uh, his reflection and summary. In both chapters 5 and 6, Tisby places his emphasis on the connections between American Christianity and American racism. Chapter 5 makes these connections explicitly clear in the context of the Civil War. Tisby poses two facts for the reader to accept or reject. One, the Civil War was fought over slavery. And two, countless devout Christians fought and died for the purpose of preserving slavery as a social institution. Not only does Tisby provide us with legal evidence for these claims, he also provides us with incriminating evidence from church politics practices, and beliefs. 
After the Civil War ends, the newly freed black people enjoy a glimmer of hope before the white oppressors come down upon them again, this time requiring more creative and and still insidious methods of securing their comforts, their tradition, and their way of life. Chapter 6 details the ways in which racism wound its way into Reconstruction. Whites, quote, devised political and economic schemes to push black people out of mainstream American life. To keep power, white Americans used terror as a tool through lynchings and rape, violently solidifying the place of people of color as second-class citizens. The violence was driven by a narrative, a story that made sense the material and human loss experienced by a country ravaged by war. The Christian God, of course, was on the side of those who had lost. And according to this narrative, detailed on page 93, the South wanted nothing more than to be left alone to preserve its idyllic civilization. But it was attacked by the aggressive, godless North, who swooped in to disrupt a stable society calling for emancipation and inviting the intrusion of the federal government into small-town rural life. Confederates reluctantly roused themselves to the battlefield, not because of bloodlust or a nefarious desire to subjugate black people, but because outsiders had threatened their way of life and because honor demanded a reaction. End quote. These reactions, among many, manifested through the Jim Crow laws, the Ku Klux Klan, and public lynchings after church on Sunday. For those of you who read with us, these stories were hard to read. Tisby gives us the graphic details of what would happen when a black woman was walking down the street, or what would happen when lynchings occurred on Sunday evenings. They occurred on Sunday evenings, he says, because the people wanted more to witness the event. You couldn't hold it during service, of course, people were busy. But no, it was after service, after the preaching of God's word, where white people would lynch the black people. We talked about the necessity of grief. Grief leads us to repentance. And repentance, hopefully, to widespread social change. We must grieve when we read these stories. These are images of God that were tortured, decimated throughout our history. This isn't just information we read on a page. These are real people, real stories. And the more we can see these stories for what they are, the more we will be inspired to change by godly grief. Zachariah, did you have any reflections on this chapter? Yeah, for sure. One of the things that struck me along with 
I suppose, everything. Um, chapter dealt with a lot of difficult subjects, like the KKK, um, lynching, and the horrors of lynching. But one of the things that I was reading that kind of stuck with me was the idea of the lost cause myth that Jamar Tisby writes about. The idea that the South was heaven on earth before the war, that um, things were much better when slavery was around and everyone was happy. In particular, the idea of that kind of nostalgia being toxic. Um, it, he wrote about the Confederate memorials that are scattered throughout the South and throughout our entire country and how many of them were erected not during the war, not immediately after of the war, but in the 1910s and 20s, in the 1950s and 60s, almost a century after the war was finished, and people in the South and people all over America are still lying to themselves about what, <laughs> what the evils that were committed were really were. And to me, it was just that idea of blinding yourself because you don't want to know the information. And he wrote about how the church often re rejected outside interpretations of what was good and what was bad because <laughs> they were on the side of oppressing people. And so if they admitted to being wrong, then they have to give up power and change. And that wasn't going to happen. And I think that's why we read books like this to take the veil off of our eyes to really try to understand what was going on because as jamar tisby said knowledge is the first step towards recognition recognition towards reconciliation and then reconciliation towards equality and uh that's kind of something that stuck stuck out to me derek how about you yeah i got a couple things to respond with um dr carter the history professor here at the seminary, <clears throat> he tells us that history is one of the ways in which we see through the myths of the past. Of course, this is just one of those myths. And I think this also speaks to the power of stories, the power of narratives. Ian, he focuses a lot on, the, on this power, right? He tries to show us the power that words have on our lives. Words create worlds is what he's kind of, he's, he's centered his ministry around. And I think this also shows us the power of reading scripture as a story, a complete story um, to guide our life. Just like how the lost cause myth guided the life of so many people in the past 200 years. So too scripture can be, can, it, scripture can function in the same way. I personally believe that scripture was written as a story for that specific purpose. Um, and there's been a lot of work done on this. John Mark Comer, one of my, uh, one of the, the pastors I really enjoy listening to, he talks about how stories are like maps that help us navigate the world around us. They tell us where to go. They tell us what to do. Um, and it's, it's sad to see such a widespread terrible story still be used today like you said as a map to judge other people to put other people down oppress them 
to deny them opportunities and jobs. The list goes on and on. And uh, just to kind of close out my thoughts, I found two striking themes in this chapter. One is one is the theme of the like the obvious contradictions of what the people in the South were doing. The contradictions between their actions and what scripture clearly implies, right? One of the stories that were given was when the, the KKK was being instituted, they had Romans 12 laid open in front of them. And that's just such an obvious contradiction. The evil that they were instituting and the words of love that we read earlier today, it's just an obvious evil, an obvious contradiction. And there were so many of those, right? The lynchings, the rape, so many things that were so clearly wrong that were given to us in this chapter. But there were also more subtle contradictions that he pointed us to, right? The love of nostalgia, the, the idea that you, you can't let go of past traditions, the love of comfort. These, these are more subtle ways in which racism ingrains itself into our worldview, into the way we act, into the stories that we believe, right? And I think just as evil, and I think just as those obvious contradictions are evil and clearly show racism, so do these more subtle ones. And I think these subtle uh, wrongs that we do on a more daily basis, it's worth to bring to God, right? Ask God to reveal those inner contradictions to us. What might we be thinking or believing that is contradictory to what scripture tells us. I think that's worthy for us to reflect on this week. Thank you, Derek, for that reflection. And uh, now let's pray. Our Lord, this week we read actions and evils incredibly difficult to see. We lift up the pains and afflictions and evils that were experienced by our black brothers and sisters in American history. We lift up the people ravaged by torture and rape then and today, people often tortured in your name. We acknowledge as a church our part as complicitly allowing evil to occur. We ask again for forgiveness and wisdom along the road to reconciliation. Lord, even though it is strikingly painful to read about such evil, we know that it happening to someone is far worse. For those of us that do not know that pain, give us empathy and understanding. For those of us that have experienced that excruciation, give peace and healing, and the knowledge that as you were tortured and killed, you can fully understand. Thank you, Lord, for the true understanding that you have with pain We ask for the strength to fight against those that cause harm in your name. In the name of your precious son, who has understood the plight of those tortured. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Blessings. Blessings.